the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, December 7th. The professional tennis season that much closer to being in the books. We had our last two ATP Challenger events of the year, both producing thrilling results. Pedro Sosa emerging with another title, and it was Francisco Serendolo winning his third Challenger since the restart in August. We want to talk about those things today. Talk about our biggest takeaways from all of the Challenger tennis we have seen these past three and a half months on the Pro Tour, of course. We also get to plug one of our articles on our website, CrackRackets.com, and we have yet to have this man on the podcast, but joining us today to talk about his weekly recap and week preview. Uh, you know him as the guru of the pro tennis travel guide, the Pied Piper of the Daily Match Pick'em. You may also know him as Tennis in Aloha. I know him as our newest contributor here at Crack Rackets, Judson Wall. Judson, welcome to the mini break. It has been far too long, and it is great to have you on the show. How are you holding up? Hey, Aloha. Aloha, Gruskin. Uh, uh, <laughs> I appreciate being on. Uh, I'm holding up well. It's middle of the day here for me uh my kids just finishing up with her schoolwork. we have to do school from home because of the pandemic right now and uh it's a beautiful day in paradise oh, that is what i love to hear one of these days i'm probably down the road going to call you our tennis australia correspondent because it just makes the most sense right like absolutely for you, that's, yeah australian open i feel like that's going to be your that's got to be your go-to slam in hawaii but we were talking about this beforehand living in hawaii kind of it's got to remove the shine a little bit right like it's another day in paradise but not the paradise we expect it's not a 24 7 vacation and you know? <laughs> i can see the beach from my from my kitchen but it doesn't mean I'm going every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's like, a, yeah, you see the down-the-line forehand, right? But that doesn't mean you pull the trigger every time. That's what it's like to I live wish. in Hawaii. Yeah, there's your tennis analogy for you. But, of course, it is so great to have you on the show. I, yeah, I I'm excited. I for all, yeah, I know I speak for all of our listeners, all of our fans, when we say your weekly uh, preview reviews are has to be one of their favorite articles on our website and obviously there has been so much play going on across the challenger circuit the itf level still a few more weeks of itf events going on of course tennis even in a pandemic is a 50-week sport uh but the focus of today's conversation want to talk about the weekly review preview what you guys have in mind one other thing i I always have to mention to our crack rackets listeners before we get started of course these podcasts are made possible not only by you fantastic listeners by our patreon family but of course, by our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. If you go to MidwestSports.com, you're going to find anything you need from a tennis equipment standpoint. Rackets, shoes, strings, clothes, you name it. They've got it. All of the best brands, all of the best prices. Just go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, if you want to start looking good, that's Midwest Sports. Come in. If you want to feel good on court, that's where our friends at Aerobar come in. The only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavor. And, of course, comes with a podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes. We've had guests like James Blake, Jay Berger, Michael Russell, Bjorn Fertangelo, so many more. All of that made possible because of our friends at Aerobar. To support them, go to aerobar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED30. 30% off all of your orders. And, of course, maybe you need to get in shape, right? Drop a few pounds before the home stretch of this holiday season. I know I'm still feeling all of that Thanksgiving turkey in my belly. You can start looking good with our friends at Midwest Sports, feeling good with our friends 
friends at Aerobar. And then, of course, what are you going to do? You're going to play good. And that's where we at Cracked Rackets come in. So, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, uh, please be sure to go support them. All right, with that in mind, Judson, let's get into the reason why we wanted to have you here today. Some really fun tennis uh, last week on the Pro Tour. And the thing, the place I think we have to start uh, is with the young man who might have been the most successful player on the ATP Challenger Tour since the restart. And that's Francisco Serendolo, who, of course, as you write, is now 19-2 and in his last 21 matches, up to a career high, number 139 in the rankings, as he won his third Challenger title last week in Brazil. For those of our fans unfamiliar with Serendolo, tell our listeners a little bit about him, and then, you know, tell me what you thought of his run last week. Yes, uh, Serendolo. Um, I'm not sure if I say it correctly or not, but <laughs> anyway, he's he's got to be considered the the hottest guy on tour at least the hottest guy on clay on the challenger tour you know of course the wta and the atp they they're all off in the maldives right now and so we're we've been focusing on the challenger tour which just finished up their season this last weekend and then the the lowest level of the professional rung the the itfs uh but last weekend we had our last two challengers we had the one in Maya at Portugal, Challenger 80 there, indoor indoor clay, and then this one here in uh, Campinas, which is just down the road from Sao Paulo in Brazil. And Serundolo won it. He's on fire. Like you say, he's 19-2 and two in his last 21. I just saw the ATP Challenger Tour 2020 media guide just came out. It's hot off the press. Uh, and I was reading through it just before a phone call. And, you know, it's one of my favorite pieces of the year. They go through all the stats of the season, uh, the 2020 match wins leader. That was Karatsev this year out of Russia. He won 27 matches. Sarundalo was second, tied second with uh, 23 matches, tied with Popko, but he lost 12 fewer matches than Popko. Uh, but what one thing that, that jumped out at me was most wins since the return from the COVID-19 break, the most wins since the restart. Francisco Sarundalo, 22-6, and six, the most wins – on the ATP tour or on the ATP challenger tour since the restart. So the numbers bear it out. The eyeballs bear it out. The trophies bear it out that he's one of the the hottest guys on tour. And when you watch him, he he looks like he is going to be playing tour ball. I think, Uh, you know, I, I think he'll, he'll be a a qualifier type. Uh, he'll have a qualifying type level at the ATP Tour next year. He'll play a lot of challengers, but I think he'll make some eight, some 250 and some 500 qualifying. Uh, but I think he's about a year away from you know we'll be seeing him on tour, uh, yeah, sort of look. sort of a, a Hugo Hugo Delian kind of situation. You know, he, he breaks out mm-hmm. in the fall South American swing, and then comes through and and he's on tour the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and- Go ahead. No, I was just—I was going to say just to add to that uh, for uh, again our listeners, Francesco Serendolo, and yeah, we're going to butcher pronunciations. Apologies for that. You can find the exact pronunciation. Should have done that on the ATP player site beforehand. But you know, as you mentioned, he's up to a new career high in the rankings, and it feels worth noting. Serendolo, uh, only 22 years old, right? And so for him to be in that top 200, that's exactly where you want to be in that age. You're going to get into every challenger uh, that you want to play. You're going to have a lot 
lot of opportunities to play qualifying at 250 events as you mentioned normally that South American swing at the beginning of the year a perfect time for a guy like Serendolo uh, to play a couple of 250 events maybe even sneak into the 500 I believe in Rio but you know the one notable thing and it's worth noting this this week and uh, he I think dropped what two sets on his way to the title as you mentioned Uh, he's won 19 of his last 21 he's also I think 35 and 10 on the year overall in pro matches that he's played but the one thing that of course stands out is just how comfortable he is on the clay and he's got those big back swings where if he has a little bit more time particularly on the backhand side he can absolutely swing through the ball you look in his career 151 and 54 in clay matches 74 percent win percentage he's also got a 67 percent win percentage on hard courts but the reason why I would maybe hit the brakes is just he's played 12 total matches in his career on hard courts the definition of a guy who has worked his way up on the dirt and I mean it's concerning right because you could see how if time's taken away from him a little bit if he doesn't have you know if he's overwhelmed with pace into those ground strokes they shank a little bit or they end up a little bit short I could see you know that's why I just need to see more reps on the hard courts and now that he's got the ranking to do it I don't expect him to play Australian Open qualifying I would say this is the sort of guy who maybe plays a couple of challengers in North America if the South American swing is unaffected if they try to play those events simultaneously to the Australian Open or whatever I I could see him playing those events instead. Uh, But I'm curious, what have you seen from Serendolo, his game? What are the things you like most? I I see his his forehand mention more often than his backhand, but really in the last two or three weeks since this, you know, mini fall challenger golden swing that they've been on uh, began, it's been his backhand that's impressed me the most whenever I've been able to watch him. I really redirects it well and it controls the court and opens up the court and gives him the ability to to find that forehand to close off the points uh but really it's his backhand doing doing the business into the work you know at the beginning of these rallies uh and you're right i think he he, he's a guy that could struggle on on the quicker surfaces because of the things that you mentioned he does have a little bit longer take back you know, just a clip or a typical guy that grew up on on the South American clay. Uh, and I don't know about you, but South American clay always looks slower than European clay. <laughs> you know, it's a it probably is actually a little slower. It's there's a lot more humidity in a lot of the places that they play in. They play a lot. They play around the coast oftentimes. You know, in Sao Paulo, in Rio. Uh, you know, so there's no there's no altitude that they're playing in. A lot of humidity that's uh, you know it's, it's warm uh, and just wet and so I, I do think those those courts are slow in South America oftentimes unless they're playing in the Andes somewhere but and you can see that in his development he he he, he needs a court that will give him some time but we'll see how he develops and I'm looking forward to it and I think it's a great point that you made about the golden swing potentially the, the, the ATP tour golden swing that occurs in the spring uh, being potentially affected by COVID and how that affects guys like Sarundalo. Uh, he, he's in the perfect position to take advantage of that swing in a normal year. Does he get that opportunity this year? Who knows? 
Yeah, I think that's a, again, uh, it's something to keep in mind. And you look for Sorondolo over these past couple of weeks, and, you know, he won the challenger in Ecuador in the middle of November. But a couple of times, and I believe it was in the Munar match, he escaped. He saved 11 of the 15 break points he faced. He wins that match in three sets. Here this week against Fausundo Mina, he saved, I believe it was 10 of the 13 break points he faced, saved, or 10, yeah, 10 of the 13 saved, 7 of the 10 he faced in, against Carbe Espana. And the reason I bring that up, yes, it's a clay court match, but, you know, the serve does sit up a little bit. It's not a huge weapon, and I think first serve percentage something that is going to be so important for him so that he can play plus one tennis, particularly as you get to faster surfaces. Now, again, you watch him play. Yeah, this is a guy who has spent his entire life on the dirt, right? He, I always say the difference between a good mover and a great mover on clay. A good mover slides out of the shot. A great mover slides into it. Case in point, go watch Rafael Nadal hit any on the run passing shot. He's hitting that shot on the slide. It allows him to reset his feet, bounce back, recover quicker uh, than the alternative. And Surandolo has that. And look, there are enough clay court matches. I mean, look at the recent examples. I mean, you could point to a guy like Haomi Munar, who certainly spent some time inside the top 80 and is someone I'm sure many people would bet would get back there. But, you know, uh, a guy like a Ramos Vinolas comes to mind. A guys, guys who've just made top 50 careers out of being so good on the clay. I mean, the most extreme example would be Christian Guerin, and I don't think Sorindolo is Christian Guerin, uh, but he's definitely got the goods, and you just can't deny the year-over-year progression for him. He goes 18-13 and 13, uh, on the Challenger Circuit in 2019. He then goes 23-7 and seven this year. That's the sort of progression you want, and I just, I agree with you. I think it's, it's more exposure to ATP 250 matches, and then I need to just see a non-clay court event. I, I, I think at a certain point, he's got to do it because if you want to be top 100, you can't just play clay 250s and challengers on clay. Yeah, this isn't the tour of the the 80s or the early 90s where you had the uh, you know, swaths, wide swaths of players that completely survived on clay court tennis. I mean, you can do that now, but like you say, there's a ceiling to that. If you really want to hit the top of the game, of course you're going to have to be able to play off the dirt. You may not need a grass court game, but you need to be able to play on hard court. I mean, that's the majority of the tour. Uh, you can you can play plenty of ATP Challenger clay court tournaments, but if you hope to make it on the tour, I mean, the majority of the tour is on the cement. And you know, later on in the year, you're going to have to be playing on the quicker courts indoors and you're just going to have to adapt to that if you want to become a top 50 player so yeah I no, I completely agree with you. And look, for Surandolo, uh, he's got a bunch of titles in his career already. I want to say this was his 10th total title. Uh, a bunch of them have come at ITF events. Now, it's worth noting he did win on the hard courts at the beginning of this year in Los Angeles. A couple of really good wins, guys like Daniel Kukerman, who was the number one college player in the country for much of last season. A young guy like Emilio Nava, Alex Richard there in the finals. Nothing crazy, uh, but if that's any indication, this guy's got the goods. I mean, you can't go 19-2 and two, uh, in challenger matches and not have some sort of upside, right? It's reminiscent of when Fritz did it after he won that junior U.S. Open. I think it was in Sacramento and then in Fairfield where he won back-to-back or maybe it was finals back-to-back, whatever it was. Opelka at the end of the year, I want to say 2018, uh, when he won in Knox or when he won in Champaign, excuse me, and uh, I think he won in Knoxville as well. Tommy Paul last year, French Open uh, junior or French Open wildcard 
challenge. He ends up winning that wild card, stays in the top 100 from there. Uh, these stretches are noticeable. And so, of course, I think we can both agree Serendolo in the midst of one of those stretches. Someone certainly we will have a close eye on when the tour resumes, whatever that may be in 2021. But of course, that's not the only guy you talked about this week, Judson. It's worth noting as well some of the other performances we had in uh, the, in the Brazil Challenger. Of course, Serendolo knocks off Young, and I'm going to butcher this one for sure, but Feder- uh, uh, Felipe Melagini, Rodriguez Elves, who is who's another guy who's been really good down the home stretch. Yeah, Melagini. I just I go with Melagini for shorty. I think he had a, <laughs> you know, a, a, uh, an uncle or some family member that played tour ball uh, in the past, and and he was a Melagini. That's that's how you know him. So that's that's kind of how I get to know him. I mean, I'm sure he he prefers to be called by his full last name, but he he won the Challenger last week in uh, I believe Brazil in Sao Paulo, just down the road from Campinas. Campinas sort of at least on the map, it looks like it's sort of a suburb of Sao Paulo. And and he's a Brazilian, so he won on home soil. He's, uh, I believe, let me check real quick here. I believe he's also 22. Yes, he is. And he's another guy that's moving on up. Now, he's in a different uh, chapter of his career, Sorondolo, up to the 130s live ranking. And so, you know, rolling into 2021, 2021, he's going to be looking – to make that jump into the top 100, hopefully make that jump into playing some tour ball or at least some qualifying ball on the on the ATP tour. Melagini, he, he his live ranking is up to 231, which I know at the when when tennis re, restarted after the COVID break, I mean he was in the 350s, I believe. So he's made a significant jump. 350s is right on that border between being a challenger player and being, uh, you know. A, a an ITF player and so I mean he was playing plenty of ITFs just starting to get into being a, a challenger player well he's into the 230s now that gets him solidly into challenger status he's going to be playing challengers week in week out 230 is also that special range where you start to make grand slam qualifying and you know you want to be 240 or better usually is about where the grand slam qualifying occurs cut line occurs and so Melagini has made that jump up. And I mean, that's a huge moment in a, in a, a young professional's career when they get in that top 250, top 240. You know, other than making the top 100, that's the big one, right? Uh, because you're making main draw of Grand Slams. But you want to be, before you get there, you have to cross that 250 threshold, start getting into the qualifying of these Grand Slams, because that's where you make your money, of course. And, and there's big points to be made. Uh, but really, it's the money. Uh, losing in the first round of qualifying at a lot of these slams is worth sometimes more than a title at some of the other tournaments they play at, just for a loss. Yeah, I, it's un- undoubtedly, I mean, anytime you talk to any of these guys, that pivot you can make once you get into Grand Slam qualifying, A, if you qualify for the Grand Slam, the money you make on that first round prize check alone uh, can pay for almost the rest of your entire expenses for the year. Not quite, but they can come pretty close to it. And, you know, you win a match, not only the points you get, but then you're talking about some serious money. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think for him— Then you have spending he, money. 
Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe not quite yet. I mean, I'm sure they do spend a little bit of the money, but that is definitely a bet. Then on you have yourself. Maldives but, money. <laughs> yeah. No. For that, you got to pull a Kyle Edmund and just win the New York Open. Or like, yeah, 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 you win one New York Open, you have Maldives money. But of course, uh, some of the other players, Roberto Carbeas Benia, who we all know, if it's a challenger and it's on the clay, Carbeas Benia, pencil him into the quarterfinals or better. He was a finalist there this week. Daniel Galan, another guy who has been so good down the home stretch. I want to say 18 and 11, something like that, since the tour restarted in August. Obviously, he made the big run to the third round of the French Open. He makes the semifinals here before losing to Carbeas Benia. And now, I want to say in the live rankings, he's at a career high. I want to say it's like 119, something like that for Daniel Galan. If you, um, Let me look that up real quick. This is live. 115, excuse me, a new career high for him. And it is worth noting for Galan, 24 years old. So he has plenty plenty of time again given all the uncertainty right where you want to be he'll be right around the cutoff to get into Australia but of course uh, that's just one half of the challenger equation as you mentioned we had another challenger uh, in Brazil this week where it was Pedro Sosa winning what was the eighth challenger title of his career and uh you know again i'm curious what you thought of his performance who you thought some of the notable performers were uh in in Portugal yeah, I, I've actually caught a few of Sosa's matches recently, and he has kind of a, a quirky game. He gets off to slow starts a lot of times, I feel. He, he has a huge windup on his strokes, particularly his forehand, but they work whenever he you know, is feeling the mojo, which it takes him a little bit of time to, to get that way. It didn't on Sunday. He, he started very quickly, won the first set, six love but a lot of times when i watch him he kind of has this air about him that he either is sleepy or he doesn't care a lot of times but (laughs) like i say he kind of has this quirky game uh he may not look like a top 100 player for instance i mean live he's up to 105 i believe he's snuck into the top 100 before uh and so he's a top 100 player he doesn't look it but he is and watch his ground strokes his forehand he can he can really lay into, he can strike the corners with it well. He can go inside in, inside out. Uh, he has a manageable, probably above average for the Challenger Tour backhand, I would say. And probably above average on his serve as well, especially for his size. But a uh, good win for Sousa, especially being at home. You always want to win at home. And, uh, you know, he took down Carlos Taberner, who has uh, won a challenger tournament since the restart, I believe. And so he's playing some good balls. Well, he's into the top 150 for the first time, but it's a big win for Salsa. He gets up to 105 in the live rankings and that puts him right at that magic mark. We talked about the 240, 250 mark. Well, the 105, 100, 105 mark is really the magic mark because that is grand slam main draw cut offline. And like you said earlier, that's big money. Yeah, no, I completely, I mean, it's it's so clear to see uh, for so many of those guys. And now uh, that once they can get into that range, things just open up for them. And now, I mean, all of these players face such fascinating choices. Would you go pursue maybe four or five tournaments? Or do you go after the big prize, try and win a match at the Australian Open, try even qualifying? Uh, that's something I'm sure we will discuss more throughout this off season. But, you know, again, those are some of the most notable performances worth mentioning. Bern- uh, Bernabe Zapata Morales 
Morales, he, the young Brazilian's been so good down the home stretch. He makes another semifinal here at this event. And yeah, you talk about Carlos Taberner. Uh, he is another one of those Spaniards in that like 75 to 150 range who they've so many have put forward semifinal performances here at the challenger level down the home stretch. So uh, a nice little resurgence, I suppose, for Spanish men's tennis for those wondering what's the post-Nadal era uh, going to look like. But of course, it's not just challenger events that we had last week. The ITF circuit uh, going all over the place across the world. And again, I call you our guru of the pro tennis travel guide. You're following all of the action there. Give me some of the highlights from the ITF circuit. I know this was a week for the young folks, people like you and I, you know, we're not exactly old, but you look at like some of these now, you know, 15 year olds, 17 year olds making finals, winning events. I'm just like, God, I really fucked up. It makes me feel old. I could be their dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not, but pretty close. Uh, no, the Spaniards, they have a ton of teens and an early 20s guys that have a ton of potential. And you would know that if you follow the ITFs, there's been ITFs pretty much every week in Spain. And there was one last week as well, where a Spaniard, a young Spaniard was in the final. He didn't win it. Uh, but they have, they have tons of them. The, the future, some of those are bound to pan out. And so the future looks pretty promising for Spain, at least on the clay. Um, one guy bef- that I wanted to mention, and he made his name in the, on the last two years on the ITF tour was... Uh, Duhe Idukovic from Croatia. He was a semifinalist in Maia last week as well. Um, and it looks like he's pretty much graduated from those ITFs, which he's been playing almost exclusively up until the restart. And it only it's only been since the restart that he's been playing challenger ball. But looks like he's pretty much made that graduation from the Futures to the Challenger Tour, which is good, good for him. And, uh, but anyway, on to this week and the ITFs, there were five men's ITFs and I believe, let me pull it, there were three women's ITFs and on, on the men's side, there were the stalwarts uh, of the ITF tour. There's always tournaments, uh, in certain locations, pretty much weekend, week out in Monastir, Tunisia, Cairo, Egypt, uh, Antalya, Turkey, places like Cancun. They didn't have one last week, but Cancun has one a lot of times. And what th- what's happening there is these are resorts that are holding these ITFs week in, week out. And, you know, it's a mutually beneficial situation where the resorts get uh, players that stay there, coaches that stay there, team members, family that stay there. And so they fill up their 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 hotel rooms it also gives their uh their guests something to go see some pro tennis even if it is the lowest professional rung of pro tennis but uh and then obviously for the players it's it's a a great situation where you know if you're ranked seven eight hundred in the world it doesn't make sense for you to fly around from city to city country to country where your plane ticket is going to be significantly more expensive than your prize winnings, especially if you're losing first round where you're going to make $80 or $120 or whatever it is, you know? Uh, so these players, they, they rent a room for maybe a month on end at, in, you know, down in Cancun and they go play tennis during the day and hang out at the resort at night. So it's a pretty, pretty good deal. But all that to say this, there were 
three of those this week that have those pretty much weekly tournaments. There's one in Monastir, one in Antalya, one in Cairo. The biggest ITF result that jumps out to me from last week was Holgerun or Rune. I think it's Rune actually. Uh, and he, you know, 17 year old prodigy from, from uh, Denmark. And he had zero ITF. He had zero professional tournament wins before the restart. Since the restart, he has been on fire. I, I was reading his blog entry just a few hours ago, actually. And his plan before going on this recent run of his, which he's won three ITFs in the last three weeks, uh, was to go play the challengers in South America. But he had, you know, visa issues or something along those lines or travel issues. I think Europeans were having trouble getting over to South America. And uh, so he signed up for these these ITFs, and I think it was the right move. He has struggled in recent times with, with challengers. Uh, I think he's lost some challenger qualifying matches recently. As he's Rune is kind of right in that mi middle zone between being a a good ITF player and you know an average challenger player, and he's just trying to make that jump. So I think to finish off your season, gaining some confidence, showing to yourself and and everyone else that you you are a top flight ITF player, and you are ready to make that next move to the challenger tour. I, I think that was a good move for him. So he won his third title. So quickly on quickly on the Holger Rune thing because yeah. um and to some of your numbers you nailed them. these come Sorry, from you can Adam jump Al in. I know I I know I talk a lot. Oh, you can jump well, first in of all, No. If I know I speak for all of our listeners, they're like, "Oh my god, is did Gruskin just not speak for 3 minutes? Like this is <laughs> this is a breakthrough. Like this is a huge moment in podcast history." It. So please. No, and I was I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh I, I no, it's because I'm paying attention. I I completely agree with you and look, uh to your numbers and this comes from at Alex underscore Baruch, and I apologize if I butchered your last name there, Alex, but fellow Alex's Unite in Tennis Media, uh to your point, four out of the five winners on the men's side on the IT circuits last week 21 years or younger on the women's side all three winners under the age of 21 and it's just you know to the Holger Rune point I've watched a little bit of him and I can't say I've seen a full match from start to finish yet but start uh, it's funny I said start to finish as if but he's not finished he's Danish um <laughs> like I just I don't know what to think of his game yet. Like, I, I think physically it's a struggle for him right now to compete with the guys at the challenger-level events, and I believe he played a couple of challengers during this stretch and got smoked uh, after receiving a couple of wild cards, or maybe he just... I think he took a couple of bad losses uh, over these past months. But yeah, at the same time, the kid's 17 years old, and it's just... I mean, the way he blitzed through this draw, I think he dropped, what, one set, won a couple of tight tiebreakers in the semifinals. He's back at it this week. He's played so many matches here now, uh, and I believe he won another title earlier in the year in Spain, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't know whether to be really excited. I don't know whether to still—I I like the ground strokes. The serve still hangs a little bit— uh, Six foot one, it's not bad. Again, 17 years old, he can still grow a little bit taller. Junior French Open champion. 
I don't know. I, what are your thoughts on his game? What are the things you like most about him? Because for me, it's it's the ground strokes. As you look at the pop he has off of both wings, and it's just like another guy where just like, holy crap, can he hit the ball? Yeah, you can you can see the polish on him. I think is is the thing that people see, not necessarily. Yeah, he, his ground strokes do jump out, especially when you consider that he's a seventeen year old. But there's a lot of of these players playing in the ITFs that have beautiful ground strokes. But I, and I don't know exactly how to explain it, but there's just this polish to him. Excuse me. You can tell that he's had a, just a ton of resources dumped into him over the years at the Martoglu Academy, I think is where he trains. And, you know, he trains with all these legends and top 100 players oftentimes. I mean, he has a team around him. What other 17 year old on the ITF tour you know, has seven or eight coaches running around with him or whatever it is. And you, and that, and that comes through. And there's a reason that he has those resources available to him. Uh, they don't throw those resources at just anyone. But you can see that come through. You can see the polish there. Uh, as for, you know, the technic, technical aspects, I, I was able to watch uh, on YouTube just a highlight package of his final this past sunday and he by the way he won his final 10 games to zero uh six six love four love retired his his opponent retired looked like he faked an injury <laughs> but uh he may not have he may not have but his, his opponent was a 19 year old austrian that had three atp points and was in his first final and he just got blitzed by by rune's athleticism his quickness around the court uh, you know, his ground strokes, his serve was better. Just everything was better. Rune got to everything. Uh, and you could tell that this 19-year-old Austrian, Misolik or something along those lines, he just didn't have that same level. And that's, you know, that's kind of what you see when you watch a Rune match. Now, that level is matched in a Challenger Tour match, of course. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have superior athleticism against most Challenger players. Uh, and, and so he'll have to continue to develop, but yeah, I think his, his, all of his strokes are solid. His forehand, his backhand, he has zip on it. He's 17. They will get better. They will get bigger. His serve will get bigger. I, I think he looks like a kid that will grow a little bit, fill out a little bit. Um, in fact, I think he looked a little bigger in Antalya this week than the last time I saw him, maybe, you know, a month or two ago, just a, a little bit more filled out maybe. No, and, I, I would I would argue he definitely is still growing into his frame. I would argue he may still have another inch or two left in him. And when I I, I want to clarify when I said he hits the cover off the ball, that's that was the incorrect phrasing. What I mean to say is he moves the ball so well around the court. It's just so clear this guy has the patterns of cross court, cross court down the line. Or hey, I served out wide. Next ball's got to go the open court in the ad. Then I'm setting up the inside out or inside in forehand, and you're just playing to my speed. Now, you know I think it, it's helped you know on the clay he's got a big forehand backswing and I think sometimes he leaves that side a little bit short I also know he's clearly got an affinity for throwing in a drop shot here a slice there and you like to see that variety from someone so young but yeah it's just you know he's quick but it's not an overwhelming athleticism like we've seen from some of these other young guys and I guess that's what you know I agree I think he can do a lot of things well right now but what's the best version of Holger Rune look like 
still not exactly sure. Uh, and obviously, he's still got plenty of time to develop, as you mentioned, only 17 years old. But definitely want to see him play across a couple of surfaces. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, it'll be exciting to watch him develop next year. I expect that he'll try his hand at the challengers again. He kind of have, has already done that and failed at it, as you mentioned. And I think this this run here at the end of the year where he's he's won three ITFs, he'll use that as you know confidence to move on into to 2021 and try his hand at the Challenger Tour. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, too, what sorts of events he gets into. Does he get wild cards into challengers? Of course, he is a Junior Slam champion, so those opportunities do arise. But at number 473 in the world, which is where he's at right now in the live rankings, that's a vomit zone if you're a player. Because normally, top 500, you maybe play one or two more futures. Now you're getting into challenger qualifying. But if we've learned any lesson from these last three months, and I think it translates until we have a vaccine and a normal schedule again, a lot of these players, if it makes more sense from a scheduling standpoint to play three challengers instead of going to play one 250, they're doing that. You know, case in point, we saw the Tiafos of the world. Uh, uh, I mean, that's the example that jumps to mind the most in, in Stan uh, the Europe swing. Yeah, Stan Wawrinka is another one who's done it. I mean, so many different guys have gone and played these challenger-level matches because you get really high level of play. And so uh, it, I agree. Holger Rune, definitely a guy uh, to circle. You mentioned some of the other winners. I apologize. I cut you off. Anyone else jump out at you from last week's ITF action? Yeah, so the other ITFs, uh, I've had my eye on the this Frenchman that won the Madrid ITF 15. It's on an indoor clay court, which you know are fairly rare on tour, even at the ITF level. But uh, Antoine Cornet Chauvinc, I know I butchered that one, but I had a chance to. They they had a live stream, and I had a chance to watch a few minutes of a couple of his matches. And you know he has the body. Uh, the body size, the athleticism. He looks like he could be on the Challenger Tour next year. He won the title there in Madrid, which nets him 10 ATP points. I mean, it's not a lot, but every title is big. And then there was a, a fella, Kirkin, in Monastir, Tunisia, uh, that won back-to-back Monastir events. Uh, and then finally in Santo Domingo, there's a lot of Americans playing the men's 15K ITF down there because there's been a, a dearth of ITF action in the States. So a lot of them are you know, finding what they can as close to home as they can. And Santo Domingo has quite the, the United States representation in it. Uh, this week, Oliver Crawford, the former Florida squad's number one player, uh, he took the title against Alex Rybakov, the, the former Horned Frog, TCU Horned Frog, and won it pretty easily. And that's his second ITF title of his career. He's 21 years old. He announced, I believe, over the pandemic that he wouldn't be returning to Florida. He was a junior last year, so he would have had at least one more year of eligibility. Who knows with the pandemic? I think you can probably stay in college indefinitely now. <laughs> but uh um, anyway, so he won't be returning to, to college. So this is a great little jumping pad for him to go off into his, his pro career, uh, win a title right at the end of the year, and he'll have his first full professional tour around the world next year in 2021, assuming we get plenty of tennis. So 
it's a good one for Crawford um, and, and a good week for former collegians. The final four there were all former collegians. I think they're all former now. Maybe is Keegan Smith still at UCLA? Still at UCLA. Okay. Well, either former or current collegiate players, top collegiate players. There was Crawford took down Rybakov in the in the final, and then in the semifinals, Crawford beat Nick Chapel, who's been having some success on the Challenger Tour, so he's playing good ball. So that's a good win by Crawford. And then Rybakov beat Keegan Smith, the the uh, current UCLA big man. And so that's a, that's a good tournament to follow. They're having a second edition of that tournament this week. So I don't think there's a live stream, but you can follow along and just check out how these young Americans, many of them either former or current collegiate players are doing down in the Dominican. Yeah. No, I mean, to the Oliver Crawford point, um, we talked about it on this podcast when he made the announcement he was leaving Florida. It was really surprising, especially given all of the uncertainty about what pro tennis is going to look like. A title like this at the end of the year, validating that decision, much deserved, and I've said it on this podcast before. Uh, there was no bigger fan of Oliver Crawford when he was at Florida across the country than I was to the guy just epitomized everything you want out of a college tennis player. And I mean, I've said it before, it's Tommy Paul point seven five. Everything Tommy does just he's a little bit smaller you know it's maybe I like point eight five, and so I I watched this match between the two of them I think it was round of 16 I want to say 20 like 14 Kalamazoo and I still put it up in the top five matches I've ever seen in person like they both did everything the same there were everything that's in this century they neither of them made an unforced error neither of them was pressing the issue too much they were just <clears> playing in rhythm and it was it was spectacular tennis and then about every 14th 15th 16th ball in the rally tommy was like all right it's time for me to win this point and he would just hit some yeah. ridiculous approach shot and it was it was it was again still one of my favorite matches but yeah uh it was a really fun week of itf action and of course that's what we've got ahead of us this week and we'll have to save some of our follow-up topics for next week i think we're going to try and get you on now every Monday, Judson, as part of our Crack Rackets podcast rotation. But just for my last question to you, what can fans expect this week on the ITF circuit? Yeah, so on the ITF circuit this week, uh, the it, it's all, well, let's talk about professional tennis as a whole. Professional <laughs> tennis is ITF tennis from here until at least the new year, at least the beginning of 2021. And we don't know what that's going to look like. If there will be challengers, where they'll be at, how many there will be, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, so it's all ITFs from here on out, both on the men's side and the women's side, which, by the way, just to to touch on that, last week there was a 15, 16-year-old winner in Cairo, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Erica Andreeva from Russia. She is ranked lower than 1,000, and came through qualifying, got the, got the ITF win there. Um, other than that, there were three total $15,000 level ITFs on the women's side, and that was the entire slate of professional women's tennis last week, so there wasn't much to talk about. But this coming up week, there is a little bit to talk about. On both the men's and women's side, it's all ITFs from here on out, but on the women's side, some of those ITFs are, are the equivalent of the men's challengers, right? Um, and and there's one this week in Dubai, a, a 100K in Dubai, which would be the equivalent of about a challenger 100 in uh, on the men's side. And so uh, it's a fairly high-level tournament, even higher level due to the fact that there's been 
such a lack of op- playing opportunities for the women since the restart, really since the French Open. I, mean, I think there's been two tournaments maybe. And so this field in Dubai definitely has a main tour, main WTA tour feel to it. Uh, and I think, I think there's like 15 top 100 players in the field. And so it's a stacked field. There is a live stream. And if you read my article, you'll know that nine out of 10 dentists recommend <laughs> um, watching the ITF live streams. <laughs> so don't be that one dentist that doesn't watch an ITF live stream. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, I, what else? I mean, if you're a tennis fan, if you need your tennis fix, that's the place to go. Perfect. Perfect. No, it's a, it, I mean, it works a lot like the, the challenger live streams. I don't think the quality is, is quite as, as good as the challenger live streams that we get. We're so fortunate to be able to get those for free, I think. And I never complain about a challenger stream that's not working or, or whatever, because I can't believe we get that for free. It's an amazing service, but um, not every ITF is streamed. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but we're lucky that the biggest ITF, the biggest tournament in the world in professional tennis this week in Dubai, it is live streamed. Several matches are on. And like I said, there's a ton of top 100 players in that. And so that's definitely worth checking out. Aside from Dubai, there are five men's ITFs. They're all low level 15,000 tournaments. There's one in Spain on a hard court. There's the one in Santo Domingo that I mentioned. And then there's the, you know, the, the three that always happen, Monastir, Cairo. Um, there's one other somewhere. Antalya. Antalya does have a stream as well. So for the ATP fan that's, that's live tennis deprived, there should be a few matches live streamed from Antalya this week. And that, it actually is a pretty good draw. It has Holger Rune in it. It has uh, some of the top Turks, Ilhan, uh, Kirkin, what? I think Kirkin's not there, but Ilhan, um, Silik Bilic, uh, you know, some of those guys ranked around 250, 300. And so it has pretty decent field, actually. And that's one thing that this pandemic has done is it's kind of increased the quality of all of these fields all the way down to the bottom level. Those top challengers have an almost ATP 250 field to them because of the lack of tournaments. The top ITFs have a challenger field to them because of the lack of tournaments. And you're seeing that this weekend, some of these ITFs. So although we, although we only have ITFs, there are quite a few quality players playing in them. And then just to wrap it up on the women's side, there's Dubai. And then there's four other tournaments that also in, in, in Antalya, Cairo and Monastir. And then they are at that indoor facility in Madrid that the men were at last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's a lot of fun tennis, and you talk about uh, that draw in Dubai, I mean, the 100K, it's just absolutely stacked, I mean, the fact that the number one uh, number one seed, Kiki Medevinich, number two seed, Polona Herzog, both top 55 players, I mean, are you kidding me? Camila Georgie, Heather Watson, Anna Blinkova, uh, you know, Roos, Anaconia, all in the draw, T- should be a really, really fun event, uh, yeah, and it should be another really fun weekend, again, you would think some of these players would want an off season, but they're like, nah, we had a six and a half month layoff. We're good to go. We're ready to keep playing through December and all the way into 2021. And of course we here at Cracked Rackets are ready to continue to have you on our team through this end of this season, of course, into 2021 as well. Judson, for any of our listeners who want to follow what you are up to, where can they find all of your work? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, pretty active on there at tennis in Aloha, just all 
exactly how it's how it's spelled, how it sounds. <laughs> and um, you know, I have a, a couple pieces that I'm working on for you guys for Cracked Rackets. Uh, one of them, I'm work. I do weekly maps and kind of put those out there on a weekly basis just to see where where the the tours are playing out for the week. Well, at the end of the year, I aggregate those, write a piece talking about. <laughs> You know the 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 big numbers, the worldwide numbers. How many tour events did we have? How many challenger events did we have? Things like that. But then also, let's go in and look at Europe versus South America. What kind of tournaments are we playing? How many more opportunities are the Europeans getting? You know that kind of thing. So it's always a fun piece, I think, to read. It's kind of a to write, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah. Other than that, I'll just be following along, checking the ITF results. Uh, on the week, maybe catch a live stream or two if I have a if I have the chance. Um, yeah, and I'm active on Twitter all the time, so just shoot me a DM if if you need to get in touch. I realized as I asked the question, it's like, wait, did I just ask him to plug his stuff on our website? And I was like, that's not what I meant to ask. I meant to ask what he's working on, but I appreciate that you knew what I was looking for. Uh, and again, of course, <laughs> Judson, we are so excited to have you as part of our Crack Rackets team to go we- read his weekly review previews. Be sure to go check out the website, crackrackets.com. Of course, plenty of other things going on in the tennis world right now. ITA kickoff weekend drafts in the books. We are recording this podcast a little bit after uh, the boys at Baylor decided to screw over my Wolverines, but we will be covering that and more on tomorrow's mini-break podcast. So, of course, be on the lookout for that. And, of course, if you've missed anything, be sure, again, to go check out the website, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. Shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Schlegner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an any job they do day in day out shout out of course as well to our friends at midwest sports and aero bar to look good and feel good so that you play good when you are on the court be sure to go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use that promo code cracked 30 but with that in mind for my wonderful guest our crack rackets writer judson wall our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports and aero bar and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin judson what do we tell the people oh no you told me to remember this leave <laughs> all of this in West or something? <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. That is the break indeed. <laughs> uh, but leave that in, Westoff. That was perfect. I think it's break time is going to have to be with what you go with. So we will say it next. So we will see you all next Monday, I suppose, for now. It's break time. Talk to you tomorrow, everyone. Take care. Mahalo, Gretzky. Bye. <laughs>